Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show, Monday through on The Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam and Anthony Slater uh-huh. and Fred Katz. Uh-huh. To be able to bring uh-huh. people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. (laughs) (laughs) Awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. Trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I am Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, here as always with my guy on the West Coast, NorCal friend and colleague, Anthony Slater. My, you got some my, juice today, Sam. You came out with some juice right there. Some juice? We it's All things Kings, baby. All things Kings. Oh, Six-game oh, winning streak. <laughs> the beam is still right outside of uh, Sam's front door right now. Still the going. beam. My favorite post-game question, and, and I forget who said this, a local reporter um, uh, asked if, if there was a, a way to make the beam brighter. They, they drove home after the game, and the beam disappeared within a couple of miles. So they are getting picky out here in Sacramento. They, the winning's not enough. The beam that they shoot out the top of the Golden 1 Center after victories, uh, the, the requests have been lobbied. It, it needs to be brighter. But we are going well past the Kings this week and taking it out to the East Coast. We have the one, the only, the always celebrated with very good reason, Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks beat writer. He's shaking his head at me already. What's up, yeah. my guy? Uh, I'm chilling. <laughs> I'm chilling. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. We are also here to celebrate you, Eric, and the incredible work that you do. Uh, by the way, nice job on, on the low post recently. I enjoyed your visit with, with Zach on the, the ESPN side. That was good. Uh, I appreciate that. So we are going to make the rounds, as always, uh, but but you know the impetus for recruiting Eric, of course, was that your guy Giannis, uh, who you cover better than anybody uh, in his entire career, uh, found himself in Philly. And, and we all know that... You know, macro big picture with the East, you know, the Bucks have been dominating for the most part with no Chris Middleton, impressive stuff. We'll get into all of the granular aspects of it, offense, struggling, defense, dominant. Um, but we had ourselves some good old-fashioned NBA drama, which this league never, you know, kind of ceases to, to stop with. Um, Giannis trying to shoot free throws is a couple days ago, but we have not addressed this on the Athletic <laughs> NBA show. So we're, we're going in. Giannis trying made for Sam Amick. Wow, I'm not sure if that's a compliment, Slater. Are you taking shots at me? No, no. <laughs> Continue. Lay I out do the like drama. the establish the drama. Drama's okay, man. It's okay. You know, guys are good. Emotions good. I, I'm I'm an emotional dude by nature. You know, you want to get deep. I was you know raised by sisters and grandmother. I I got that side of me. Uh, but Giannis was pissed, Eric. Giannis was pissed. He's trying to shoot free throws after a game where he shoots. Was it? I know there was a lot four of misses. 15. Four or 15 yeah. from the free throw line. Um, it's just so on brand for Philly, the city, Philly, the fan base, and then Montrez Harrell, who comes over if you somehow missed it, post game when Giannis is shooting one of his free throws. Did he make the attempt that Montrez caught? Uh, this- yes. Yes. Okay. So he makes a free throw. Montrez can't even let him celebrate it and enjoy his post game <laughs> moment. And he grabs the ball. Uh, as captured, by the way, our, our Joe Varden was on the scene, did a nice job writing that story and shared a video that shows Montrez grabbed the ball, tells Giannis to, to get off the court. But I shouldn't even tell this story. You're the expert here. Um, take it away from there. What what unfolded? Yeah, I mean, so this isn't all that unusual. Um, 
I mean, I think in like Giannis folklore, the idea is, you know, years and years ago, he was so upset after a game that he went to the practice facility in his jersey, didn't even shower and all of that. Like, this is just kind of who Giannis is. Like, if he has a bad one, he's going to get after it after the game. Uh, So, yeah, he missed a bunch of free throws, maybe the worst free throw shooting stretch of his career, 415, 4 of 11. Uh, Before that, he's shooting 60 at 60 ish percent from the free throw line right now. So he's going through it and he went out there. He made his first seven free throws. Uh, The seventh one, as you mentioned, Montrez grabs and uh, that was seven in a row, seven in a row. Talk about just running on a dude's parade. Yeah. Uh, That's exactly what Montrez Harrell would wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's right. Um, So yeah, he made seven. Uh, He was trying to get to 10 and Trez grabs the ball and he's just like, dude, can I just have the ball? I'm just trying to make some free throws, man. Like, can I, I just, that need was to not a very good Giannis impersonation, Eric. I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to go for it. I feel like sometimes you go for good the Giannis impersonation. Like it just, it, it, can yeah, yeah, it can go poorly. It can go, it can go poorly. Yeah. We're not doing uh, it. So, you know, he's just like, dude, can I just have the ball so I can make three more free throws? And I'm, I'm trying to make 10 so I can get out of here. Trez says, no, uh, Something to the effect of this ain't bleep in Milwaukee. Get that bleep out of here or something of that nature. Uh, so Giannis is like, all right, um, I just need some basketballs. And no one in Philadelphia is willing to give him one. So he goes back to the locker room, grabs a basketball or grabs two basketballs, comes back out. Uh, by the time he comes out, there is a ladder up on one side of the floor. So he goes to the other end where he was shooting can't shoot there because now Trez is doing it. Uh, he offers to Trez that, hey, we could shoot together. Like, could we do that? And Trez says, nope, can't do that. So it goes down to the other end. There's a ladder on the floor. He asks the worker who's taking out, like, after games, there's cameras and stuff from ESPN. So the Philadelphia, you know, staffer is getting those cameras out. And Giannis says, hey, can you move the ladder? I would like to shoot some free throws. And the guy says, no. He says, can you please just move the ladder? I want to, I just need to make a couple free throws. And he says, no, he pushes the ladder, the ladder as ladders sometimes do, uh, (laughs) the ladder falls over, uh, and makes a very loud sound again, as ladders sometimes do big Uh, ladder too. It's a huge ladder. Yeah. Taking it out of your garage. But here, let's, we got to get a little deeper. Giannis, huge man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ladder, not as huge to Giannis. Huge man. Yeah. Now, Eric, I will playfully give you a hard time because, and I get it, you're you're kind of, I can feel the nuance in your voice where you're talking about as ladders sometimes do. You're you're prefacing the ladder gate by discussing the fact that <laughs> ladders sometimes do this. Conversely, I'm not going to name names, but I did get a little annoyed. I look at Twitter the night of, and, and I just, I do hate, I know it's easy for me to say this because I cover the whole league but i you know even back in my beat writing days i tried not to lean into the the local media lean in deal where so some of there was some philly media that was tweeting about how you know Giannis should not be throwing a ladder like he did <laughs> not throw a ladder this Sounds was like not, a wwe move yeah uh, you, there just was no toss throwing. the ladder yeah he made a mistake i do think he probably should have found a way and not to get ahead of it here on the storytelling aspect of it but you know, he he was a little stubborn to apologize and said, I don't know if I did anything wrong. I'm trying to work, you know, but the ladder fell over. He could have taken over some 80-year-old employee that was walking by. You never know. Um, sure. That was a mistake. And it was, the optics were bad. And and again, you're in the belly of the beast, like you're in Philly territory. So all of that wasn't great, but it was not throwing a ladder. Yeah. And I, I mean, honestly, Varden was the guy that was kind of just like watching it all happen. I think maybe like the only dude in the arena that like hadn't moved on to Bud's press conference and was just like standing there watching all this. Those are reporting chops, baby. Yeah, Varden. Good job, Joe. Uh, So Varden's watching it. And, you know, he was like the person that it almost hit was like Giannis's longtime girlfriend, Mariah, and their two year old son, Liam. Like they were two of like the closest people to the ladder falling. Uh, And could have hit them. So yes, like it didn't end up looking good because 
a big ladder fell. I bet he apologized and, at home. <laughs> uh, I, I would think he did. Uh, I would think he did. So, uh, yeah, the ladder goes down, and then Giannis shoots some free throws, goes in the locker room, and, I mean, for the Bucks, it was just like, all right, let's just get out of here. Like, this whole thing is ridiculous. Giannis was pissed, came back to the locker room, and started telling everyone. I, I don't even know if piss is, like, the right word. I, I think it's, like, disbelief. Like, why is this dude not letting me just shoot free throws? Like, what? what is oh, yeah. this? Like, wh- Can I take attempts, the Philly right? side? Can I take the Philly side? Go for it, yeah. So I think you're, th- like, I always, and, like, players do this all the time. I think it's very theatrical when the dude goes out. You know, he had a struggling yeah. game. We all see it, right? Oh, yep. you know, blank is out there an hour after a game. And so I was like, I, I kind of eye roll those at this uh-huh. point. I think we all do. Um you're not in Orlando. You're not in, you know, Minnesota. Like you're, you're in the arena of, as Sam has mentioned, like maybe, you know, the city that views itself as kind of the, <laughs> the bully for themselves than anyone. They're an East rival. Mm-hmm. Montrez Harrell, like, what's Montrez Harrell's role on the Sixers? Like to play four minutes and not shoot any free throws that night. Just for the record, that's what. He but did. also, yeah. like, yeah. you know, create some attitude for that team. Mm-hmm. We're coming for the Bucks. The Bucks have won the East m- much more recently than the Sixers have. Like, go cause some trouble with Giannis. Make him come back here and and you know worry that Montrez Harrell's around. You know, I mean that's just like that's his role. I'm not saying Giannis will, but like that shouldn't surprise anyone that that was Montrez Harrell's not reaction to it. That that is all I'm saying. I just appreciate that Montrez is is consistent. You know, a couple of years ago. When the Clippers were trying to find their way, and Montrez was a part of that team, he was a, a truth teller even when it was his own team. I remember he came out, you know, back then and talked about how we're not a championship team, you know, and, and it and honestly kind of created some friction within their locker room. So he does fancy himself as somebody who shoots straight, tells it like it is. And you're right, Slater. Like when Daryl Morey goes and signs Montrez Harrell, his you know uh, old buddy from the Houston days then, you know, that is part of the mentality for sure. Yeah, no, I think that's, he's an, he's an agitator, right? Like that's, that's what his, his goal is. Like when he, when he comes on the floor and he gives big minutes and he gets offensive rebounds, his goal is to annoy the, like the opposition. So it it wasn't to me like a surprise that he did it, but Giannis was just like, I I don't get it. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm just trying to shoot some free throws. Like I why and you know we were talking to Bobby Portis yesterday uh, about it and he was like yo when we were playing the Celtics last year in the playoffs he's like they had five dudes out there running lines after the game like on our home court because those guys didn't play like none of us were like hey get off the court like it, th- he's like this is the NBA like we're all professionals this is what you do so he I think everyone it, Pissed is not the right word. Like, I don't think the Bucks are mad about it. They're just like kind of in disbelief where it's like, what what are you guys doing? Like, so first of all, they had lost four of six. So frustration obviously was high. You're you know, talking start, about the Bucks, right? Yeah, the Bucks. I'm yeah. sorry. Nine and oh, so Giannis is, is is pissed about the play and his own play. Mm-hmm. And you know, if he hits free throws, they win that game. Um Probably, if, yeah. if I'm the Bucks too, you know, I'm just gonna chuckle at it because Philly to this point. I mean, you know, it's a little bit later. This is up your alley. Like, Clay Thompson telling the Suns, you know, I got four rings. Like, the Bucks can be like, all right, we got our chip, and Philly still hasn't done anything with this group. And they are, you know, they are punching up. Sam, you remember last season when the the Suns late in the year beat the Warriors? It was when the Suns were going really yeah. well and the Warriors oh, yeah. were in a rough situation. And oh, the yeah. Warriors have kind of a makeshift uh weight room outside their visiting locker room but it's very open to everyone <laughs> yeah. and they just went through the shirts off like yep. we just beat the warriors I wrote and now all we're about going it. through a I remember I was sitting there talking lift. to Devin Booker like Did you, you get know, a few there. reps in Sam? Like did I, did. You hit the, I didn't like, want to embarrass anybody so oh, I Oh sure I that makes sense. But yeah, yeah. there was a like you know Draymond Green didn't come over and like rip the dumbbells away <laughs> and walk away but there was a lot of like oh, are you like really sons you know I mean I'm not saying that fully went into what Clay Thompson did that day but like you know, That's there was a lot of eye rolling about just the theater of that right. by the Suns. And I just think the difference between the Bobby Porter situation that you talk about, it was like, that's truly some end of the bench guys that need to get some cardio in. I think Montrez Harrell's opinion, I'm just guessing, would be that was theater by Giannis right. on his home court. And I'm going to go cause some problems. 
I would probably focus more on the Montrez part I get. I don't necessarily have much problem with. I was pretty stunned. I shouldn't be because I've been to Philly and I know the ethos out there for the most part. Like, like shout out to the arena workers. They're like, nope, I'm putting the ladder up again. And you That's know, Philly. And that, now this, that's where the Philly comes in. It's yeah. Philly. I mean, this sparked legitimately. We do not have a lot of basketball debates in the Amick household between my wife and I. But that night, we're having a real conversation about how she made a point. She's like, well, the, the arena worker is trying to go home. And I'm like, honey, you realize that my entire life is spent waiting for players to finish doing whatever they need to do because it's their environment. Even though we have media rules that say you should talk to the media within this amount of time, like we don't have any illusions about the reality that they are the ones who are the driving forces behind the league. Giannis makes, you know, what is he making now? $45 million, something like that. Right. And, 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 you know, if the dude wants to get a little extra work in, they came to the arena that night to see their team play him. You know, the Milwaukee Giannis's. That's what the fans, you know, that's how they look at it. So the arena workers, in my opinion, needed to just file a little bit of overtime and and wait for him to shoot a couple free throws. But that's just not Philly. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm I'm not going to say it's like accepted, but I do think most arena workers know like, all right, if there's a player out there, I I got to wait. Like, that's just how this works. Like, yeah, it's shitty. (laughs) I wish I was going home and and I wish I could get home sooner. But that's not like how it goes. We should get that worker on the pod. I want to track that person down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Ladderman in in Philly. Uh, But yeah, like, that's just how it goes. Uh, So yeah, I mean, it was, to me, it, it, it did feel like this is a thing that could happen maybe only in Philly. Like, sure. a, like a a Philly fan working in the arena being like, screw Giannis, screw anybody doing this. Like, no, I, I'm going to I got to get out of here. And and again, like Giannis shouldn't push a ladder out of a dude's hands and he should handle this situation better or he should get someone to move the ladder instead of him doing it himself. Like, yes, Giannis could have handled all of this better, but ultimately, like. This is pretty standard practice in the NBA to uh, even if it is theater and even if it is overly dramatic to show like, oh, wow, look at how hard I'm working. This is pretty standard practice. Well, it'll it'll make it fun next time they play. So we look forward to that. Um, Also, Philly, you know, it's so it's March 4th. So honestly, like I might like be writing a story in like February in Charlotte about like Giannis dunking on Trez Harold there. Because he might not even be on the team. Like March fourth, Trez right. Harrell might not be on the team by March. I don't. 4th. I, I bet Fair. he's getting some high fives in the locker room this week. Like, <laughs> he is. Well, I was just saying that Philly folks, Philly folks, keep that energy high because uh, tomorrow, by the way, we're recording on Monday. Uh, a, a young man by the name of Ben Simmons is coming in with his Brooklyn Nets. So Ben is going to get you know the honest treatment and then some. Uh, a the scorching whole... hot Ben Simmons. Oh he yeah, was rediscovering I feel like we, his form. We turned him around. We wrote our piece about frustration around Ben, and boom, he's like balling. That. But let's segue a little bit, Eric, and talk about your Bucks. It's funny because I mentioned the uh, the low post appearance you made, and I thought something Zach said was interesting, or you said to him about how you spent most of your conversation talking about everybody but Giannis, and it took you a very long time to take a moment to say, oh, by the way, this dude is incredible because – when you're with him every day, basketball wise, you, you just kind of stop appreciating, you know, in, in its fullest form, what he does. Um, how is Giannis doing with this start? You got no wingman with Middleton and we are seeing the effects of that offensively, uh, incredible MVP caliber stuff from him. But like a lot of stars right now, we're reaching that point in the season where we're kind of shifting from marveling at how great they've been to saying, Oh boy, are they tired yet? You know what I mean? Like it's a lot. Um, And and like I mentioned already, they've lost four out of six and and gone from, you know, everything smooth sailing to their first bump in the road Um, from Giannis and and out from there. What's what's the latest with your team? Yeah, I mean, I think Giannis has kind of gotten used to this over the years where he is like the destroyer, right? Like he's the guy that can go all the time. He's a machine. It's all good. 
And sometimes there's injuries and other guys get hurt. And when they turn an ankle, they actually go out for two weeks. And when he does it, he's just back the next night because I I don't know, like he's made of something different. So he's done this before. And, and I remember like very vividly last year, they were going through it. Everyone was out with like injury and COVID and, you know, he's out there with four dudes that are probably, I don't know, eight to 12 in their actual rotation and after a game, he just like told me, he was like, yo, you know, why am I going to kill myself in the 12th game? Like, who's going to remember game 12? Even you, Eric, like, <laughs> th- like you won't remember Even game you. 12. Like, you won't remember this when we get to the playoffs. Like, this is not. So why am I going to go out there and kill myself? Like, I'm just going to play within myself and do my thing. And, and I think the Bucks got helped out pretty pretty much by a a weak schedule to start the season. They didn't really play a lot of teams, so they're able to get out to that 9-0 start. And it's been rough the last couple weeks, right? Like, over the last two weeks, they're 30th in offense. It's It hasn't been good. Drew Holiday missed four games with a sprained ankle. Uh, Chris Middleton's been out the whole time. Pat Connaughton hasn't played yet this season either. So they're going through it, but, I mean, Giannis is just – I know Pat always gets left out. That's an omission by me. Especially, how could I forget Pat? I mean, Eric, you and I <laughs> sat in the pool of the Phoenician Hotel during the NBA Finals. Yeah. Watching. It took 19 minutes for a Phoenician reference. Phoenician, I, I had the under. Those were I had the good times, man. Yeah. Staying at the Bucks Hotel during the NBA Finals, trying to take Honestly, a quick impressive, impressive that Pat could even get shots up during the finals because he threw a football for two straight hours. He like. was basically Joe Namath, like playing with the kids. <laughs> you know, he had a young man come over. We're, we're digressing, but it's okay. It's fun. Um, he had a young man come over and say hello and was a fan. And then the dad got involved and you thought that Pat was going to shoot them away. And next thing you know, he was throwing the football, you know, damn near 60 yards in a very long <laughs> pool over and over and over again. To the point where Eric and I are monitoring his, you know, his his fatigue and his shot form the following day. So yes, Pat, pivotal part of the Bucks, also been out all season. Yeah, and I mean, so you're looking at just a bunch of dudes out, and Giannis for the most part has survived it. Giannis is at a point in his career where he's going to shoot 75 percent at the rim, and it's really freaking hard to keep him from doing that. It's really hard to keep him away from the rim, and. The other stuff, right, like years and years and years we've been talking about, you know, is his jumper okay? Is it going to get better? Like, what's going on there? He's not shooting well. Like, from the mid-range, he's not shooting well. From three, he's not shooting well. From the free throw line, he's not shooting well. He is not in a very good rhythm as a shooter. But because he can get to the rim and he's gotten so crafty and good at all of that stuff around the rim, he's still able to kind of get through it and do all this. So the Bucks are kind of in this weird spot where no one's worried, no one's panicked, no one's concerned. The team is full of veterans, all guys that want to be there, all guys. I mean, they have a whole bunch of guys that have been in the league for a decade. Like they they can get through this. But, yeah, they they've lost four of their last six games. <laughs> it's not going super well. I think they're, they're hopeful that Pat Conchon is going to come back tonight. Uh, as you said, we're recording this on a Monday, so they're hopefully comes back tonight. Chris Middleton isn't hopefully all that far behind. He had a uh, off season left wrist surgery. And now it sounds like he's got to work on his conditioning to get back. And, you know, he's working on his legs and all that to, to be ready to go. And I think they're hopeful he comes back this week. So, Hopefully the band is back together soon is kind of the vibe. But until then, you know, they're 11 and four. They're getting through it and and they're going to find a way to win a bunch of games and be one of the top seeds in the East and get themselves ready for the playoffs. They they have a 105-1 defensive rating, which like doesn't often exist in the modern NBA. I mean, you know, everyone remembers that awesome Celtics defense a season ago that led the league. They were like 106 something. Um, I mean, I'm looking now. The the Lakers are eighth in the league and they have a 110 rating. So that's like, you know, basically a five uh, point difference. So, you know, I'm t- we're talking about what, 22 of the 23 teams have a, an over 110 rating. So that's like, you know, really great. But you flip that on its head, obviously, offensively, what are they at 22nd or something like that in the league? Um, what to you is the bigger story right now? What they have defensively as their kind of foundation or what they're not doing offensively? I think it's the defense. Um, I think 
anyone that's watched this Bucks team for the last five years under Mike Boonholzer knows Chris Middleton is super important. And, you know, there's always going to be the conversation is, oh, you know, is Drew Holiday better? Is Chris better? Is Chris good enough? Yeah, he is. <laughs> you know, he had an NBA Finals where he just took over games. He was the clutch shot maker. He's honest pick and roll partner. When he comes back, I, I think the idea is offense is going to be fine. And I think that's a fair assumption. Defensively, they have done some new things this year. Like, for years, I'd probably asked Bud, I don't know, hundreds of times about how many threes they gave up. It was always, they're going to do everything possible to shut teams down at the rim. You're not taking shots at the rim. And if you get to the rim, you can deal with Giannis and you can deal with Brooke Lopez. And it's not going to be easy. Uh, Giannis is a freak and Brooke Lopez is seven feet tall, 280 pounds. Good luck. Like, try to score over those guys. And they just decided there's going to be a wall. At all times. And we're going to give up some threes, but they're going to be above the break. They're going to be not to your best shooter. They're going to be to guys that probably shoot 35 to 40% from three. It's fine. They're above average shooters, but we don't care. Take as many above the break threes as you want. And this year, Bud decided, like, we're not doing that anymore. Uh, like, it, we're just not going to give up threes anymore. And really, you look at their shot profile, it's, it's pretty wild. Like, I thought when they made this adjustment that, you were going to see teams get to the rim more. And I believe last time I checked their shot profile is still like top five in fewest shots allowed at the rim at three pointers is them and the Celtics at the very top of the list for fewest allowed. Essentially you're all you get is mid range jumpers against the bucks. Like that's it. They're not giving up threes. They're not giving up shots at the rim. And that has been huge. Like this has been their one problem for all these years. And you can think back to last year, Grant Williams getting 18 threes uh, up in that game, in that game seven in Boston and hitting a bunch of them. And the Bucks just didn't have another answer. And, and to be fair, Chris Middleton was out. They couldn't go small. They couldn't switch on defense. This was their only chance, but it was a great summation of their one problem defensively for the last four years under Bud was they gave up too many threes and now they don't give up threes. So to me, the defense being what it is, is way bigger than, than the offense. Cause uh, eventually the offense will be fine. Chris Middleton will come back and, and everything will go back to normal. Brooke Lopez also still leads the NBA in total blocks. I mean, uh, it, it the gets, rim is it, still being protected. That's what I would say for, for sure. And it it's honestly gotten to this spot where back in the day, I shouldn't say back in the day, like the last four years, if you turn the corner as a guard, you essentially had a wide open pass to the, to the wing. Like it was like, all right, we're not going to let you get to the rim. So you could just turn the corner, make a simple pass, maybe a pass, pass, pass situation. You got an open three, that release valve, that, that safety hatch, whatever you want to say, it, it doesn't exist anymore. You turn the corner and your option is pull up for a mid ranger or go try Brooke Lopez. And I got to say, trying Brooke Lopez doesn't work out for many people. It, it just, it doesn't work out. And he's put together a super impressive season, by the way. Uh, he's due for a new contract. Uh, so I'm sure his agent uh, is calling John Horst to say, hey, do you want to talk about that extension? Uh, it, the price just went up. It, it's It's going up. And it's going up some more. Add some years, add some more money, because he's putting together what is, his best year thus far in, in Milwaukee. Eric, uh, your bucks have not played Boston yet. Um, they will not see them until Christmas day, which I'm sure the league kind of loves. Cause it's going to be a long buildup with a lot of mystery about the two teams that are, you know, clearly head and shoulders above the rest at this point. So you haven't seen that matchup, but if you're in the bucks locker room and from your constant conversations with players and coaches, you know, and kind of their view of the East, and the threats out there, how do you think they're seeing themselves in that context right now? And, and coming off the heels of this, you know, Warriors championship season where even coming out of that, a lot of the preseason prognostications media-wise were, you know, that Milwaukee was was possibly going to be back on top of the mountain again. I mean, it's it's a strange conversation because no one's seen Chris Middleton play since he missed that time, and that's the reason why everyone's like, well, if they took the Celtics to seven games without this dude, once they get him back, 
they'll be fine and they're going to blow through the league and they're going to win another championship. So I think that's what makes it tough, but there's no doubt about the confidence that they have. And, and I think one thing that's interesting is like, for me, if you're going to beat the bucks in the playoffs, it's always how difficult can you make it on Giannis? Like that is always the conversation. Like how hard is it going to be for him to break through the wall? How many big dudes do you have at the rim that can make his shots tough? And we didn't get to see a ton of that because Robert Williams was not super healthy in that series. So it was easy for Giannis. Like Giannis just scored and scored and scored in that series. And I think that's led to this team being incredibly confident when they're thinking about their matchup against the Celtics. Because if if they don't believe you can slow Giannis down, they're going to be very confident. And, and that's like, I'm not trying to say that the Celtics can't slow him down. I think they're going to do a lot better if Robert Williams is healthy. Uh, and who knows? He's, he's still, yeah. And obviously they've healthy. done what they've done without Robert this year. So, so yeah. like both sides, I think have plenty of reason to be confident, but I think both sides are kind of just like, yeah, if we're healthy, we're going to be good. And I can't blame either team for feeling that way, but I don't think the bucks have, like in previous years when it was, you know, Bucks Raptors in the first year where the Bucks were really good, it was like, okay, this Raptors team is tough. Like they got a lot of dudes that make it really hard on Giannis. And I don't know that they get that same feeling about this Celtics team. The statistical snapshot is is kind of fascinating. It's inverse for both teams, right? Like Boston, the question that we asked you about, you know, what matters more about the Bucks? Right. you are focusing on the defense. Boston's offense is historic. Their defense is not as good as normal. They look at Robert Williams like the Bucks, Middleton, like once he's back, they're going to be fine. Um, right. My last thought, guys, on the East, and we're going to jump over to the West and, and switch conferences here. I kind of joked about it a second ago, but, um, you know, Brooklyn is has been a disaster for weeks now. The Kyrie Irving's finally back. Uh, I do feel like highlighting because, you know, uh, the Ben Simmons story has been – looming for a couple of years now. It's been a tough one to cover, you know, mental health issues, uh, physical issues, trades, you know, we wrote last week that, you know, the frustration was on the rise around him and had been for quite some time because basically it was Kevin Durant and a bunch of guys who couldn't get their S together, you know, and Kyrie wasn't playing. Uh, ben Simmons last three games, starting with the one that Slater and I were at in Sacramento, he hit five or seven shots that night, goes 11 points, Five boards, three assists. That night, we might I might have been guilty of like, like the bar has become so low for Ben that that night we're kind of a little snarky about like, man, this is like widely being received as a turnaround game, you know, and it's and it's an eleven point somewhat humbling effort. But then he follows it up with fifteen, thirteen, and seven and a win against Portland, and then twenty two, uh, eight boards and five assists in a win against Memphis. You know, this is significant for another team that is not anywhere near the contender status in the east of the Milwaukee's or Boston's, a team that's trying to keep its head above water. But uh, but Ben Simmons, just, you know, right in time for the Philly reunion, is looking pretty good again. Well, the good news is that everything will be fine when Kyrie Irving comes back, too. So, <laughs> like, there, there won't be any problems. There won't be any drama. You know, he'll just know. get, he'll just get back on... In the era. Yes. <laughs> he'll, he'll just get back on the floor, and there won't be any drama. So, I mean, I think you're 100% right. They're, they're all the way through all the drama, right? They're like, all the way through. Yeah, the Nets are just going to be totally fine, drama-free for the rest of the season. And That'd Eric Slater guess. could probably already feel this coming. All of that entire segment that I just jammed in here at the end of the East was my shameless way of shouting out my Sacramento State Hornets, who now have a men's basketball coach, oh, as I have a Sac State mug here in front of me. Uh, David Patrick, the new Sac State men's basketball coach, um, is Ben Simmons' godfather, which is a fascinating little twist that, that I didn't know until recently. And came, you know, brought him to LSU, um, you know, and, uh, and a guy who's trying to get his own program going. Hornets are 11-0 in football, Eric. It's something we talk about every week on the pod here. This guy's we, just trying yeah. to get VIP tickets to the <laughs> FCS playoff games. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, the Kings are coming out. Kevin Herter was, was out there with Chima, a, a UC Davis grad, uh, out there at the football game the other day. All right, enough of that. I've done my Hornets part. Um, after the break here, we're going to jump over to the West. We will be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, guys. Uh, let's talk Western Conference. Eric, I know you got to get off to the day job pretty soon here. Um, but uh, we got to start with Slater's Warriors because, uh, you know, a monumental thing happened on Sunday night. Um, the Golden State Warriors here in late November. Is it late? I mean, it's the twenty first. That qualifies is as late, late November. Yeah, late. You know what? How much money would I have made if I went to the Vegas gentleman or Vegas books and said, "All right, Warriors are not going to win a road game until November twenty first in Houston, no less." The arguably the worst team in the NBA. They are not the last team to win a road game. There's one team that still has not won a road game. Captain Silver Lining here. We <laughs> saw them yesterday, Sam Amick. This is where I'm going. The Detroit Pistons moved to 0-10 on the road by barely missing out on a winning goal. That's why they game. were so thirsty, man. They were playing hard. Marvin Bagley was thirsty for a win in Sacramento, Ooh, we, but it wasn't because yeah. of Detroit's road record. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, yeah, uh, to me, this is the story of the Warriors' week to Clay Thompson. Um, you know, you guys probably saw the Phoenix game. Uh, where he went 5 of 15. They lost their eighth road, eighth straight road game to start the year. And by the second half, as he was, you know, missing shot after shot, you know, Draymond Green's throwing his hands up in the air as Clay's taking transition threes with 20 on the shot clock because Clay is obsessed with getting himself going because he's been, you know, to that point, one of the worst shooters in the league, 33% from three, 35% from overall. At that point, had more shot attempts than points on the season. Um, yet was second in shot attempts on the team. And that's, you know, obviously kind of dragging the offense down. And that was the boiling point in Phoenix. Uh, there was some pretty pointed comments post-game about it. Then there was a team meeting Friday morning where Draymond Green, who in, I think we can all agree kind of lost some of his leadership voice in the last month and is starting to slowly gain it back, held the floor, had a conversation with Clay. They basically told him, like, you know, we want you to get back to Clay Thompson, but it can't be this way. It's it's impacting the team. Um, had a patient game in, against you know in the home win over the Knicks, uh, and then 
went ballistic in Houston. Um, I and you know Steve Kerr always tries to say, oh, the game rewarded him because he finally took the correct approach, the team approach. But you know that was kind of vintage Clay. That was even chucking Clay at times in the Houston game. But he looked a little bit livelier. I think his body's getting back. He had a very inactive summer. We'll call it on the basketball floor. Um, and he scored 41, 26 in the first half, 20 in the first quarter, three threes in the fourth. Like they didn't play that well, and we can get into some of their deeper issues if you want. But like I kind of would love, and and yeah. I hope you don't mind if I open this door. But you kind of alluded there to something a little bit. You know, you said an inactive summer for Clay, and that has been something you and I have talked offline about a bit has been a topic of discussion in the media and I think within the team as well. I feel like, and there's no better source than you, honestly, to weigh into this and our Bay Area crew that's around it every day, is like we need to try to provide some clarity there. What is your two cents on the way that Clay handled his offseason? You know, the, the way he's framed it is that at least part of it was the mental block of having concern about the Achilles tear that happened during an offseason run where he was, you know, thought he was all the way back, ends up, you know, getting hurt um, playing five on five, and that he had apprehension because of that. To me, at the, you know, when he told that story, I do get it, but it is strange because you're you're looking at it going, okay, you, but you were also productive in the playoffs in the finals, and you, you we thought you were back, and then now you're you're not back. So I, how do you just unpack that a little bit? Well, I'd start with the fact that their offseason doesn't begin until like mid to late June. They played until game six of the NBA finals. And it was like an emotional finals for everybody, but particularly Clay Thompson. This was like his crowning achievement of like these two years of hell, 941 days from, you know, tearing his ACL in the 2019 finals to finally climbing back and winning the NBA title. And I believe he was saying like he was talking about maybe taking like a month off and getting back to it like, you know, late June or late July range. But from the way he explains it, like, you know, he tore his Achilles in a in a pickup gym in, in Southern California in downtown L.A. And there was just kind of some mental scars from that. And he just couldn't bring himself to go from the crowning NBA finals moment to like back playing pickup and because of that, he didn't play pickup all summer. He didn't. He really didn't scrimmage until like late in camp, um, and that was like the first time he played really since get, you know in a full five on five contact setting since Game Six of the NBA Finals. And while I think we all can understand the mental reason for that, also he's you know now into his early towards mid thirties. He's off two really bad leg injuries and you know regardless of leg injuries or not as you get older you need to spend more time on your body that's why Steph Curry has aged so well because he obsesses in the offseason over his body LeBron James what does he spend now two million a year or something on his body Chris Paul I mean the plant-based diet all you know like as you age you must do more maintenance and Clay Thompson did less maintenance in the summer for reasons he has stated and that you know, you know, pretty much a lot of people's opinions led to a slow start. They hope, hey, he's broken out of it now, but um, that's that's the dynamics at play. Right, right. No, good stuff. All right, uh, elsewhere in the West. Um, Just wait. You know, I want to. I want to ask Slater a question. Um, yes. Yeah. Let's talk. So, me. so you had written this story about like the two pathways, right? That that the Warriors two are, timelines. That that's what they're doing. Um, when I watch the Warriors, uh, it doesn't look like it's worked like what what's kind of like the general organizational thought there like i know they sent wiseman down to the g league for a little while like do they think that can get rehabbed and get back on those two timelines or or kind of what's the vibe with that uh the wiseman thing is not going terrifically he is still in the g league uh and and they're planning to keep him in the g league they're you know for 10 days total and then reassess. And to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if it's longer, you know, he's going to play two more games this week. They just need to get his career revved up. Um, He's the, I'd say he's the player of this, you know, I guess next era whose uh, future is becoming the most tenuous with the Warriors. You know, I think he'll get just because of who he is as a, you know, talent potentially uh, will get chances in the league, but it's just, especially with the Warriors style of play that doesn't seem to fit what he does. They need big men who can pass, read the game, screen handoff, that type of stuff. I'm, you know, becoming more dubious of his future with the Warriors. Now, I still think Kaminga has a role on this team 
and moving forward, I think they need to find it better. They actually had it for long stretches last season. Small ball lineup, switchable, put them in the dunker spot. Like, there's ways to utilize them better than they have. They need to figure out how. And I think, you know, there are people within the organization that believe, like, figure it out with Kaminga because he can matter now. Moody, not playing as much as you'd expect. Um, but again, I mean, he, he got useful minutes in the West Finals. He was in the rotation at, at times against the Mavericks. So, same deal. I mean, different type of player, but I think it's like, dude, figure it out. He can be in the rotation. We've seen him in the rotation. Uh, so, you know, generally, you know, a couple steps back, I think they've gone too young also on the back end of the roster. They drafted Patrick Baldwin, not helping right now. Ryan Rollins, not helping. Empty 15th roster spot because tax purposes. Mm-hmm. So you do have a crater on the back end of the roster that they did not have last season. That is becoming an increasing issue with their depth. But as far as the timelines go, Kaminga Moody should help more now, and I think they need to figure out a way to to get them more in the rotation and more helpful. Is is that how they win this year? Like, if they're going to win another championship, like we're talking about Clay, right? And is it okay? Clay gets back to being Clay, and that's how they win a championship, or does it have to be like the young timeline guys figure it out, and that's how they win a championship this year? All boxes must must be checked. Clay Thompson must gotcha. play like he did in the playoffs last season. Not vintage Clay, but like good enough. You know, he was sturdy enough defensively, and you know he he was second in the NBA in playoff threes last year. Like he hit threes. Uh, Jordan Poole's got to wake up a little bit. Got to find his role in a second unit, which I think this reformed young second unit has pinballed into him, and he's kind of can't find his rhythm. Um, so he's got to get going on a more consistent basis. That so once that happens, you have your sturdy six man core foundational six as steve kerr has called them that just won a title so we know they can and then beyond that the depth needs to fill out more which means like moody's got i think got to cement himself as a good enough eighth ninth man kaminga they've just got to find lineups that he can unlock the the skills he has i mean because he's he has some like elite tools it's just he's a little lost out there. But once you do that, you know, DiVincenzo, who you know well, like, to me, he's he's fine. Um, Jermichael Green has not been what Otto Porter or Nemanja Bielica was. But, again, then we're talking about, like, the difference between sure. a downgrade on the 8th, ninth, 10th men when we know when the playoffs come, if they have their main six healthy and at least enough help beyond them. They've proven what they can be. They're a contender. So that's just kind of where they're at right now. Slater, I think I know the answer to this. I'm going to ask it anyway. If Clay continued to go down kind of that darker road that he was going down performance-wise, and I know it's just one game in Houston, but he's had a couple good games. Um, You know, our Tim Kawakami wrote the other day about kind of the elephant in the room idea of, of Jordan getting moved into the starting lineup. It was one of a few things that Tim explored in his column but if you take away Clay's history and the affection that the fan base has for him and and everything he's accomplished in his resume, you know, like that's an extremely fair discussion to talk about the younger, recently extended dynamic scorer, you know, taking the starting spot of the older guy who is not, you know, getting it done like he used to. Was there any world that existed in which that would eventually happen based on the way Steve Kerr has framed it in the past? He has said no and repeatedly said no. Like, Clay Thompson is the starter. Now, there's politics involved, obviously. I mean, we know Clay from a stubbornness standpoint. Uh, He's uh, part of the reason I think he spiraled into this rough start was because he's like fighting against those, like discrediting his legacy. I mean, we've seen him go against Charles Barkley. I hadn't noticed this thing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, So, you know, Steve Kerr is probably as good as any coach in the league, you know, at just like reading which touchstones to push from just like a personality management standpoint. And benching Clay Thompson was not going to solve the issue. Number one, number two, and I, I would agree with this argument. Like they know that they need to get back to their defensive core to win a title. And that means Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, Helps in a lot of ways, but like Clay Thompson in the playoffs can be the defender. Maybe I mean, you know, he's getting older. At some point, he can't. Maybe he can't be. But like to me, Jordan Poole just physically cannot be what Clay Thompson can be for that starting unit. That still, you know, was basically the best five man unit in basketball. And, you know, once they go to the bench, it, it falls off a cliff. But I just think all that combined, they just weren't going to push that button. 
right, great stuff. Eric, you got to bounce. We appreciate you, man. Thank you for jumping on, changing your schedule, taking the time. Uh, But most importantly, do not push any ladders, all right? I'm just telling you from experience. Don't be knocking ladders over, you people in Milwaukee. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I, I just got to get control of, you know, my, my anger and I just gotta, I gotta be better. And honestly, I'm really sad. I'm going to miss out on the beam talk. I'm really excited for you guys to talk about the beam here. The uh, beam so is coming. I can't yes. wait to listen. All right. Yeah. Watch yourself. Be careful out there. Thanks brother. All right, Slater. Uh, what direction do you want to go? Cause we're going to finish just, here on the I West. I want to say one thing about the West. Have you seen these standings? They're crazy. They are crazy. Then let's it's, go that. I was going to, Utah was one of the ones I was going to throw your way. We didn't think, we joke about the Warriors winning their first road game in late November. We did not think Utah would be not only on top of the West in late November, but, you know, our Sham Sharani are reporting that they have interest in John Collins, which is not exactly the kind of, you know, potential move that is going to move you down the standings. Uh, the Utah Jazz are, are flipping the script. But part of what's, Curious about the standings because the Jazz have what did they start? What was the Jazz like? They were to the really, season. Yeah, they started the season. Let me. I, mean, I know this is great. Uh, it's podcast okay. it's not live radio. They started yeah. the season. I guess four and one. They got up to nine and ten nine and three. three. Ten and three. Ten. And so three. they've lost three or five. Okay. Um, they are in first as of us speaking, but. I always look at loss column, particularly when you're talking about the top of the West. Now, this is a greater conversation where when we're, we're really talking about seeding in like March, April. But they have six losses. The Sacramento Kings, who are at the five seed, have six losses. The top five in the West all are tied with six losses. And then six through nine is tied with seven losses. The ja- If the Jazz lose their next game... They have the same amount of losses as the ninth seed in the West, right. the Dallas right. Mavericks. So, right, right, yes, right. they're in first, and yet, like, they are a great story. And the John Collins thing you mentioned is very relevant because we always thought they were going to pivot towards something else. But, like, it just so jumbled up in the West that, like, one bad week, two bad weeks from a team, and you're way down, or one good week, and you're way up. Absolutely. And you're making me feel less guilty about something I wrote today, uh, you know, you and I have seen a lot of the Kings because we're, we're living that neck of the woods. And so, uh, you know, they win six in a row, first time since 2005 that they've had a six-game winning streak. Conceivably, you would write a glowing column about how great they're playing, but their defense is still 27th in the league in defensive rating. And But my justification for writing it, and you and I talked about it last night at the game, was kind of built out of what you're discussing, is that yeah, six games in a row, but you lose a few and you're out of the playoff picture right now. And the West in particular, I know it's always tough to to get in the playoffs, but right now I would argue that 13 out of 15 teams in the West look you know, very capable of being in the playoffs. Yes, I'm going to even throw the Lakers in there. They've had a couple of wins. I'm not saying they're going to make it. But they do have talent. Now you're talking crazy, Sammy. I'm just saying, you know, they're only two and a half games out of the 10th spot. My only point is, like, which teams, to me, it's just Houston, San Antonio are the two that are quickly starting to look like, you know, they're going down the road that we thought they would. Um, San Antonio 6-12, and 12, Houston 3-14. and 14. Lakers 5-10 and 10 is brutal, so maybe I'm wrong there. We'll see. But, again, a couple good games. Anthony Davis playing well. Um, you know, your Oklahoma City Thunder, which, you know, we can talk about as well, are seven and nine, but they're competitive. And and Shea Gilders Alexander is, is playing beyond an all-star level. Um, if you're the Kings and your defense is bad, you gotta fix it because you're gonna have all these good vibes early in the season, but then by the end of the year you're gonna have the same familiar tale of being on the outside looking in because of all this parody. Yeah, and that's what their head coach is saying. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he's I believe you have a story. Is it already on the site, or is it? Yeah, it's up. Yep, I talked to to Mike after the game. I talked to De'Aaron Fox and Davion Mitchell, trying to drill down on. And to their credit, I didn't have to twist anybody's arm to talk about the need for better defense. This is something that was front and center for them after the game in the locker room. You know, Kevin Herter was asked something about just how much fun they're having, and and made it abundantly clear that that wasn't a fun game for them. They should not have had it be so close with Detroit. They didn't defend well enough. So they are focused on this as well. Which is, to me, important. They're, you know, internally from the guy who 
you know, Mike Brown is the guy that is trying to change culture there. I mean, he says it in basically every press conference. He is not, you know, throwing the parade for the six-game winning streak. The first six-game winning streak since what, like 05, I think? Yep. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a Mike Bibby, Chris Weber lineup, basically. That that no, that's that you're a little. That's a little late for that one, but yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I, no, five is, I will just say this. How about a Sam Amick beat writer day? You probably that's my covered first that year on the beat. That's yeah, you covered that six-game winning streak. I did. I uh, don't remember it, but I covered it. <laughs> that's because six-game win streaks in the league are really not that big a deal, <laughs> and that's what Mike Brown's trying to say, right? Like, right. it is a big deal around here, but if you have greater goals to actually become like a, a very relevant franchise, six-game win streaks can't be a big deal. You need to look at within the six-game win streak what's happening. The blinking light to him is the defensive rating that remains bottom 10, which, by the way, he was hired in some part to like not be a bottom 10 defense. So he needs to solve that. Right. And he's keeping that front and center. And I think that's correct because, you know, to actually not only squeak into the playoffs, but to maybe win a playoff series or at least, you know, take a good team to six, seven games. You can't just be getting scored on every time down the floor. Well, and I tried to look at both the Kings history and league-wide history recently about the general idea. Like, if you're Mike Brown and you're trying to tell your team, here's why this matters. No, I'm not just being Debbie Downer and nitpicking coach. Here's why this matters. The Kings, during this stretch of 17 years that they have not made the playoffs, have never been higher than 19 in defensive rating. They've spent the vast majority of that time bottom five, bottom eight, you know, bottom of the barrel. Defensively, that's been the the worst you know, or the most significant factor in their inability to be in the playoffs since 2006. Uh, beyond the Kings, last two seasons, and I just, you know, again, just looked at those two years, but playoff and play-in teams in terms of their defensive rating, you got 40 teams in those two years that got in. Only two of them had top five, I'm sorry, bottom five defensive ratings. It was Atlanta last season uh, and then Portland the season before. Um, you know, that that's two out of 40. And then if you go, you take it out even more and go bottom 10, it was only five out of those 40 teams that had bottom 10 defensive ratings. De'Aaron Fox last night, Jaden Ivey got the ball in the wing. Jaden Ivey, he's not like, you know, a spectacular three-point shooter, but capable of making a three. Four and four was hot last, last night. night. Yeah. Went four or four. He had a wide open three on the right wing. Fox kind of ran to close out on him and stopped short. Didn't even put his hands up. Kind of just watched and let him shoot. You know, really a batting practice three, you'd say. Mike Brown called one of his immediate timeouts, which, by the way, is becoming like a legend in Sacramento. It's like 15 seconds into the quarter. Yeah, 15 yeah. seconds, ding. 23 seconds into a quarter, ding, if he doesn't like what he sees. But he calls one of those quick timeouts, and he lights into De'Aaron Fox, kind of circles out of the huddle after he lit into De'Aaron Fox. And, you know, me, Sammy, and you are sitting there watching. He's like kind of breathing to himself, like, what do I want to do here? Then he walks back in the huddle, sits on the, uh, you know, sits like in front of the five players that are on the court and just lights into them. Like like just middle of a, of a regular season game where they're on a six-game win streak, you know, that they're in the game at this point because they're scoring with the Pistons. They're just not stopping them. He's just ripping everybody. And, you know, maybe that act might wear tired on some players at some points. It'll be harder to handle during losing streaks. But the guys are listening. And that, that to me, the numbers are what they are defensively right now. But it does feel like there's at least a level of accountability that you could see the way they're scoring, the way they're winning, the way they're feeling the vibes of like what winning can be. You would expect them to buy in enough to at least become competent defensively. Like that is the big challenge for the Kings right now. And the guy and the big thing is the guy in charge is like that is clearly his goal number one and you're seeing it on the floor. For sure. I don't know why I did this, but when I talked to Mike, I might have shared with him that, you know, the press seating at Golden One Center is up high. It's fairly far away. So I might have shared with Mike that, that my new uh tool that I bring to work these days is a is a pair of binoculars to just get kind of sights and sounds from the game. And I and I told him like Mike, I saw you in you know that one moment when you got steam coming out your ears, and you might have been talking to yourself a little bit. I mean, legitimately talking to himself. He was walking in circles, grabbing his bottle of water, muttering, you know, out of frustration. Eventually, like you said, took it out on some of his players. But I do think they're listening, and they also know that Mike. He's not. You know, sometimes you have head coaches that, you know, let's say maybe they didn't have a lot of winning on their resume, but then they got kind of tied with a certain franchise that did some winning and then they try to act as if 
you know, they were the ones driving that success in the past. Mike has a long resume where he's been around a ton of the game's best winners of all time. And then, you know, that Warriors chapter was a extremely important member of the team. You talk to everybody from Steve Kerr on down. You know, this was not, you know, some cup of coffee he had with Golden State. He was a part of the dynasty. And that credibility and then his relationships with Pop and, you know, the different pedigree that he has as a coach, um, you know, I think he has that 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 respect in the locker room where they're going to listen because these guys know that they haven't accomplished anything. You know what I mean? This roster in particular, he's got history with Harrison Barnes, you know, who can, who was a champion. Uh, but beyond that, there's not much. And, and he's trying to get that across right now. Matthew Delvadova. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they uh, had- no, you're right. And you know, that's was why they hired him. And you know, it's they, say what you want about the defense. Like, as as much as the defense hasn't been solved, the offense has been a revelation. Though I mean, we were talking about the Bucks earlier. It's basically the flip side where you're like you're looking at the bottom of the ten on one unit, but then you're like you know they're second in the league. And I mean, Boston's I don't have the history in the context in front of me, but but earlier in the season, I, I know Boston was on pace to you know to have the highest offensive rating in a very long time. And, and yeah, the, the Kings, Kings are, are right like lead the league in field goal percentage. One eighteen point six is basically two points better than the number three team, the Suns. Right. Um, right. They are scoring at like an absolutely elite rate right now. Uh, which, Did you, you know, see you Fox's post game podium session at all? Yeah, you were in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that moment late when he was asked uh, if he still thought that he was the fastest player in the NBA, and it, I thought it, it showed a sign of maturity because first of all, he just said basically, I don't care about that title anymore. Even though in his younger years, he would go out of his way to say that he was. So his answer was basically that I, I use my speed when I need to, but his confidence when he sat there and and very definitively stated that if I'm being honest with you, like regardless of speed or or what you what label you want to put on it, I get whatever shot I want whenever I want. You know, like that level of offensive confidence coming from him, I thought was fascinating. All right, my friend, I'm going to let you jump. Anything else briefly on the West that you uh, you think we left out before we uh, say goodbye to the, the loyal listeners here? No, I mean, it is just that just jumbled up, you know, mess. And it, it over the next month could look completely differently. You know, right, just right. At least the top 11 or so. All right, I will see you at a gym sometime soon, I am sure. Thank you, as always, to everybody listening, and we will talk to you next week. And obviously, thank you to the great Eric Dane for joining us. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.